0: So here's just a little trivia. What exactly are we celebrating on the 4th of July? What actually happened all those years ago on this day? Anybody remember? Oh. Signing the Declaration of Independence, sending a letter telling King George... You're done with us, right? It was a letter outlining all the reasons that we were splitting away from England. And so on that day, this is the day we decided to be free. But I gotta tell you, there was still war ahead to be won, to be fought. There were different things they still had to do to make that freedom that they declared real. That's an interesting thing, but we celebrate on July 4th. Our forefathers decided it's time for us to tell people... We're out of here. We're free. We're not going to let King George rule us anymore. And John Adams would say, you know, we need to have fireworks. We need to have festivals. We need to have all sorts of things to celebrate. But they also had a lot of people who did fake funerals for King George III. It's like we are saying you are dead to us, right? That is what July 4th is about. It's an appropriate day for Americans to celebrate, but this morning as you come in this building, we, we might have flags on our ties and stuff, but we're really celebrating a different freedom. Here in a few moments, we're gonna be gathered around the table to celebrate our independence. This is our Independence Day too, because the event that secured our spiritual freedom took place on this day years ago. And every Sunday we gather to remember it, and all through the week we try to live it out. This is our Independence Day too. And so Jesus, in John chapter 8, is choosing almost like an Independence Day celebration among the Jews as an occasion to talk about this. It's the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, what this feast was in the fall of the year, the Jews would have their harvest. It would come in, and they would celebrate the harvest coming in. They would remind themselves that this was God's provision And so they're honoring God with this festival that God wanted them to celebrate every single year. Not only that, but they would leave their homes, and they would live in little tents for a week. Now some of you people who don't like tents, this doesn't sound like fun. It it wouldn't have to be far away. In fact, some of them, they would put the tent on the roof of their house. You had a nice house, and yet for a week, you lived on the roof in a tent, or you might live out on the front yard or in a courtyard somewhere. It was for them to be reminded of the years they spent in the wilderness, God teaching them that he was providing for them. They got freedom from slavery in Egypt through the 10 plagues, but for years they lived out of tents, learning how to be free. That's the background Jesus chooses for this message he preaches. If you look at verse 30, it says, he was saying these things, many believed in him. So as he was preaching these truths about himself, some of the Jews actually believed him. And so it says in verse 31, so Jesus said to the Jews that believed him. He he zeroes in on those who have chosen to at least intellectually for right now believe in Jesus. And he says, and here it is on the screen, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That sounds like good news. How many think that sounds good? Sounds good? We love this word. In fact, it's a great verse, a couple of verses, to put in memory. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But to these Jews, they didn't like it. And already he's having to clarify for himself. He continues this way. They answered him, we're offspring of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we have to become free? And Jesus then answered, and there you see on the screen, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. If you continually live sinful lives, you're a slave to sin. And then he goes on to say, so if the Son sets you free... You will be free indeed. Real freedom. They still don't like the message. The more he talks, the more they don't like him. And then by the end of the chapter, they're picking up rocks, wanting to kill Jesus, wanting to stone him, and he walks away. This message that to me, and what we all said a minute ago and raised our hand, sounds like a good message to me, was totally offensive to the Jews. What makes this so offensive? The first thing is this. He is telling them they're slaves. This, this discussion is very tainted negative, even in our culture, but especially to the Jews. To call anyone as a slave is a pejorative term. It is so wrought with so many bad ideas behind it. We in America know the dehumanization of slavery, what it did to people. It caused people to feel less than human and make them act like less than human. It damaged all of us. American slavery damaged every American citizen, whether they know it or not. That's the impact. When people treat people as less than people, everyone is messed up, it taints everything. But here is the truth, and Jesus really knows how intense and polarizing this word is. If you don't have Jesus, you really are a slave. You're stuck in sin. And until you recognize that, you'll never go for freedom. You have to get to the point where you recognize this. Sin dehumanizes people, and you have no choice. You continue to serve it, and you can't get out of it. You're stuck in it. It's degrading. It's ugly. It's nasty and offensive. And that's you if you do not have Christ. Second thing that's offensive, the only way you can be free is through Jesus himself. Abraham couldn't set them free. You can't behave your way to freedom. You cannot buy your way to freedom. You cannot work it off, and you cannot save up for it. You are powerless to change yourself. Your Facebook status is slave, and you can do nothing about changing it. That's bad news, except that it's good news. Because Jesus says, you can be free. You need me, but you can be free. Now this, again, was still bad news to the Jews because of this. Um, There's only one way. This, by the way, is still bad news to people in our world. There is only one way. Only the Son can set you free from slavery to sin. Is that still true? It is still true. Only through Christ. Now this... This sounds like bad news. It's monopoly words. We in a capitalistic culture, we we really don't like monopolies. We don't like one person to have all the influence or power over one thing, and so break up monopolies, make sure that there's competition. But spiritually, listen, I know there's lots of different religions in the world, but here is still the truth. The only way to be free from sin is through the Son of God. That's it. That's the only option you have, but it's an option. And he's willing, and he's done everything that's necessary. He's provided. It's not like he's stingy and he's withholding. No, no, no. You can only come through me, but I really want you to come through me, he says. But that was bad news to them. Third thing that was bad news is this. It's not a one and done thing. A lot of people treat it this way, and even we in churches of Christ do this sometimes. Hey, we want you to be baptized. They're baptized. Hey, you're free, now go on, and you can live any way you want to. That's not what Jesus says. If you want to live in freedom, you must abide in Jesus, you must stay, you must continue. You, you can't just come, be released, have the handcuffs taken off, and then you just run around and everything's fine. We, we learned this from America. We learned this from the Jews. It was easy, y'all, getting out of slavery to Egypt. It was easy, but it took years to learn how to live free lives. They were constantly wanting to go back, weren't they? All those 40 years. Well, we had leeks and onions. We had, And they start looking at slavery as if it was great. It was hard to teach them how to be free, and in fact, a whole generation had to die because they couldn't learn it. And even after that, the other generations didn't either because after that, the Jews were constantly enslaved as somebody because they couldn't accept God's freedom. They didn't know how to live that way. America's the same way. We we fought the war for the, the Revolutionary War. We got freedom from England, but what happened? Well, we continue fighting. We even fought ourselves in the Civil War, and we got politics, and we're divided, and we're polarized, and we're struggling. Learning how to live free is very hard. Here's how Paul says in Galatians chapter five: For freedom, Christ has set us free. Now, we're going to explain that in a minute. But for freedom, Christ has set us free. So stand in that freedom. Don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. It is so that the tendency for free people is to be enslaved to something. As soon as I am free in Christ, I let the law come back into my life, and I'm a slave to circumcision and all that stuff. But that's not the only one. 13 verses later, you are called to freedom, brothers, but do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh like I can do anything I want to, and then you become a slave to your desires. So this highway to freedom, this road to freedom that Jesus sets us on, has two ditches. We let law or some kind of law system enslave us, or we let our desires enslave us, and we all have a tendency to run into ditches, y'all. That is the human way. How do we stay on the road to freedom? How do we live free lives? That is the hugest challenge of all generations of God's people. And he gives the clue in this word. We're going to go return to our main verse. In bright red, and there's a reason why it's bright red. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if, you know what if means? If is called a conditional word. If, if you want everything I'm about to say to you, you've got to meet a condition. If you abide in my word. This is what we need to be doing as Valley View people, as, ch- as Christian people. We need to be abiding in the Word of Christ. Not just coming to Bible class and studying it, and not just learning some things about it. We need to abide in it. I, I thought of all the words people try to think of continue in, and live in, and live out of. Here's the best analogy on a July 4th for this. Screen. Anybody know what this is? Some juices back behind there, and mixes together, and he puts this meat in a sauce you know what you call this marinate you're marinating it now last night we had some barbecue burgers from people over and what Melissa did was she took this little brush and brushed painted on an ever light layer of barbecue sauce is that a barbecue burger no that's like putting icing on a cake that top layer tastes like barbecue but you get below that top layer and it's just burger You're just painting it. It's easy, and it's quick. You know what marinade is? You put that meat in a container, and you put your whatever concoction you've got, you put it in there, and you soak it for hours. It takes some doings. And you soak it, and that stuff gets absorbed in the meat, and it becomes part of the meat and then you put it on the grill and you cook it and every bit of it tastes like it and no matter where you cut in it tastes like the marinade and Jeff later on Jeff Madden gives me an even better analogy for this he says you realize the acids and stuff in that marinade will get in there and break up the the tough stuff in that meat will actually break up the what's that stuff called where's Jeff what, what do you call it like the cartilage and anything in there that's got that rough stuff it will actually go in there and dissolve that from the inside it breaks up all that stuff that normally you wouldn't and it makes it easier to eat and better tasting that marinade you got to soak in it and that's the key to living free lives you take the word that we believe the word is why you're here this morning the Word is what guides what we're doing this morning. The Word is supposed to be what we're soaking in. We're marinating right now in the Word of God so that it soaks us up. And, it, and it's some little, there's some obstructions in us, there's some rebellion in us. There's some stuff about what God wants that we don't want to give, and we're fighting with him. And as we marinate, we let that come and dissolve that obstruction stuff. And then we go out there, and the words you say to other people when they ask for advice and stuff or they do something to you, the words that come out are influenced by the marinade that you're soaking in. That's what Jesus is saying. And then the actions that come out are shaped by what you've been sitting in, this marinade Jesus, And what he says to us is, if you will abide, three things then happen. You are his disciple. We are not looking for worshipers at Valley View. People who come and sit on the pew for an hour and worship. We are not looking for, we are not called to become worshipers. We are called to become disciples. Do you know the difference? Worship is an action you do, and then when you leave it, you're not doing it anymore. You know what a disciple is? He's an absolute apprentice and liver-outer of everything. Liver-outer. Liver-outer. I've just redeemed liver. Liver-outer. You, you, you live this life, and you don't just leave here and no longer in worship. No, no, no. You leave here, and you're still disciple. You're, sti- you're a learner, and apprentice. You're not just Absorbing Jesus' words, but you are absorbing his character and then you're trying to live it out. We want disciples here. We want people who then go out and live just like Jesus did and you become little Jesuses everywhere you go. Here's how it's said in Ephesians 3. Here's the prayer of Paul in Ephesians 3. I bow my knees before the Father, Paul says, from whom everyone comes. He's our source of all people. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may, what's the word? I look at the screen. So that Christ may visit? Is that Christ may visit or you may visit him on Sunday? No. Christ is dwelling in you. He's living there. And so everything that flows out of you flows out of from what's within you, and it's Jesus. Now here's another way he says in Colossians 3. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. Let the word of Christ live there, and then what flows out of you. So if you're an orange, and I take an orange and I crush it, what comes out? Orange juice. Why? Because that's what's in it. If you are indwelled by Christ, no matter what happens to you, what comes out is Jesus. And that's what he's asking. Are you abiding? Are you marinating? Are you constantly marinating in that? You'll be his disciple. Second, if you constantly marinate in Jesus, you will know the truth. I love the discussion between Pilate and Jesus as Pilate's trying to decide what to do with him. Same gospel, a little later on, John 18. Pilate says, are you a king then? I mean, Pilate thinks he's all authority, and Jesus is, declaring, is being declared all authority. Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, for this cause I've come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth Hears my voice and marinates in it. And Pilate says, What is truth? Our world is constantly asking that question. What is truth? I've gotten my truth. You've got your truth, and there's fake truth, and I don't know how to weed through it all. You want to weed through it all? Marinate in the truth of Jesus. The world has a way of telling you where you came from, and why you should live the way you do, where you're going, how you should treat people, how you should view yourself. All that stuff is true stuff and the world is grappling to find some kind of answer from science, from philosophy, from y'all and them all and all these other people and here's what Jesus says, marinate in my word and you'll know the truth and when you're listening to stuff, you can wade through the junk and the fake news and hang on to what's true but you can't can't know the truth if you don't marinate in the words of Jesus. We need to know the truth. We need to live the truth. We need to be able to discern what is truth and what's it, what isn't. And the only way you can know what isn't is when you know what is. You marinate to be his disciples, you marinate to know the truth and you marinate so that you can be free. Indeed free. There are illusions of freedom all around us. People who think they're living their lives and they're totally free and they're totally liberty, libertine people, and it looks like everything's going. But if you looked a little closer, you could see that, that that their greed is calling their shots, or their desires are calling the shots, or public opinion is calling the shots. I don't want you, Jesus says, to just appear free or live an illusion of freedom. I want you to be free indeed, all the way through, marinated all the way through, be free. Now, this is weird. If you were to ask the world if they think Christians are free, what would the world say? Something like this. (laughs) No. Right, It would sound a lot like that because they would say, we know all the rules. You don't do this, and you don't do that, and you can't go here, and you can't go there. You don't smoke, you don't chew, you don't date, the girls who do. We know these things. This is the shortcut of what everybody knows about the Christian faith. And they characterize it that way, and they think that's the sum total. There's a lot of things we can't do. How in the world can Jesus say, you're really free If you live out of my truth, when his truth just keeps us from everything. That's a difficult question to answer for someone just by appearances. Uh, let Let me show it two or three different ways in Scripture. Here's the first one. Here's what James calls it. James is just using strange language nobody understands. He says, the one who looks into the perfect law Law is not freedom, right? The law of liberty, and you persevere in it, you'll be blessed. Law of liberty, and he calls it that again in chapter 2, verse 12, judged under the law of liberty. How can you say we're following the law, the law of liberty? Next screen. Here's how he says it in the fruit of the Spirit passage. You all know the fruit of the Spirit, right? Through the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there's no law. You live by the Holy Spirit who lives within you. That's what Paul prayed in Ephesians 3. Power of your spirit, Christ dwells in you. If you live by the Holy Spirit, you don't have to worry about any law at all. Here's what he's saying. If you love God and you love your neighbor as yourself, then do whatever you want. Is that true? Now, be careful with that. If you love God and you love your neighbor as yourself, you can do anything you want. You're free. That's what James, that's what Paul is talking about here. Third slide. This is just digging it deeper here. By this, we know that we love the children of God. This is how you love me. This is how I love you. Just picture I love you. So I'm purple, I'm a dinosaur, and I'm saying to you, by this you know we love each other. When you love God and obey his commandments. If I will just love God and obey his commandments, not only do I love God, but I'll be loving you. And this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. His commandments are not burdensome. He didn't give you his commands to be a burden to be a killjoy, to stop you from meeting your created potential, your authentic self. He did not do that. He gave his commandments to avoid burden, to avoid nightmare, to avoid long run destruction of your life, to tell you how to live well. Now, that's a Christian talking after years of looking at Scripture. This is not a good sell for the world. But i got to tell you, there are even Christians who doubt this. Christians who doubt that this is free, that God's, that God's commands are good for us. Because there are moments in your life and in mine where what I want to do is I know not what God wants me to so I'm at a crossroads, y'all. This particular moment, I want to do this, but I know full well what God says about this. And what I know is he told me this not just to, not just to stop me, but to bless me. I know that he did. But everything within me right now tells me this is what I want to do. I want to call this shot. This, is what I, this, w- this would be most satisfying to me right now, but I know what God says. Somebody's right and somebody's wrong, and guess who it is? Somewhere down the line, Christians have to learn to trust and believe in God enough that we go with his word against our very own. And we trust that it is freedom In the garden, we all think when I say to you what was the command that God gave him?" you're going to say not to eat of the tree. That's not true. The command is you may eat of any tree in the garden but that one. He didn't say don't eat that one. No, you can eat. You can eat of any tree but that one and they were fine with it. I don't know how long they were fine with it. And then the serpent comes and makes them look squarely at the one tree they can't eat from and convinces them to question the nature and motive of God for giving the command. He's trying to hold you back. You can make this call. You need to ungod God and God yourself. And every sin committed since then by every person who's ever sinned has been exactly the same thing. Question God's motives for giving this command in the first place. And I have a feeling that every evening after this, After the meal was over and the dishes in the dishwasher and there's Adam and Eve with their coffee and all their kids running around, probably grown up mostly, he's going to live 900 years, probably her too, so they're going to be 850 years old. And for the millionth, it seems, evening since then, they drink that coffee and they look back and they go, oh, what I'd give if I could go back and undo that because the one thing I thought would give me freedom actually enslaved me and the one thing that I couldn't do was to keep me safe in the garden with God. I don't know many Christians who after they have gone AWOL, and we all do, after we do declare our own independence and do something instead of what God asks us to, I don't know many Christians that wouldn't look back at that and say, I should have stuck with God. I asked some kids last night. We had some people. We played some kickball, which was a mistake. Man, am I old. But as we sat in the driveway, we talked about this verse. Caleb Hooten was there, and I said, okay, how? How can we as Christians, when the world looks at us so funny for this, and even we struggle with this, how can we believe that God's way is real freedom with all the commands? And his response was, we have to have a long view. We've got to pan back out and look at the whole story. That one immediate moment, it doesn't look like freedom but when you pan out and see the story, you go, oh. How do you convince the world of that? I don't know. How do I convince you of that? You who already believe it most of the time, but when that quandary comes, when that struggle comes, this doesn't sound like freedom. That husband and that wife going through, as Paul will tell you, going through that difficult year three, you wouldn't, Call God's commands freedom. Because all you want is out. And things would be so much easier if I could bail. You'll swear it and you'll feel it and everything within you causes you to question. But you've got to decide this. You've got to decide, I know right now what I want to do and I know what God wants me to do and I know which one's right. I know which one feels right but I know which one is right, and the thing is, he's not just trying to trap you in misery. He's not saying you got to stay there for the rest of your life to be miserable. He says, I want you to stay there, and I want you to grow up, and I want you to get holy, and I want you to love each other through this, and when you get to year 10, you will thank God the rest of your life you didn't do what you thought you should do. God's way is freedom, even when at the moment it doesn't feel like it. Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you'll know the truth. You'll be my disciples. You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. One last picture. I want you to see this real quick. James Dobson cited this a few years ago. There's a school that decided that kids were being restrained. Their imaginations were being stifled because they have to play in a playground with fences, fences, That really, to be liberal arts, we need to take the fence away and let them just explore as they want to. Take away the fence from the playground. This is some stupid New York idea, I promise you. Or maybe California. They took the fence away, thinking the kids would, oh, yeah, now we're free. They huddled in the middle of the playground. They were terrified. They didn't know where the boundaries were for them or anybody else. They didn't know where they could safely go and and where and where they would be okay. And they couldn't have fun at all. There were just too many uncertainties out there, and just it's just crazy. And so they huddled in the middle. Finally, they put the fence back, and they would go all the way out to the fence and just play because they knew where the. Listen, all the options that you want is being given to you is not freedom. It's not. What is freedom is knowing the safe boundaries of where is good and right and proper and where it's not. And when you're within the boundary, you have this wonderful freedom to care freely, go through and do everything you want to, and know where the boundaries are. That's weird, isn't it? You want real freedom. Marinate in the words of Christ. Love God. Love your fellow man and then do whatever you want to do. How does Jesus offer this freedom? And he says in the verses right before our text, he says, when you've lifted up the Son of Man, it's like he's saying to them, you can't get this right now. And and a lot of his preaching when he was here was like this. You can't do this right now. But let me tell you, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know. Then you'll know. And that was future for these hearers, and that's very difficult to put yourself in their place, but for you, for you, it's past. When Jesus was lifted up, we knew. We knew he's exactly who he says he was. Every word he said is true. You can take it to the bank, even when it goes against your every inclination of your heart. You know he's right. He was lifted up. When Jesus that day was lifted up on the cross, he was taking our sins, and because of that, those who trust in him and are in Christ have the penalty of their sin forever removed. You, church, will never face the worst consequences of your sin. Forever free from it. But not only that, by the Holy Spirit he sent, you will never face sin powerless you've got power to defeat it you can make choices that reflect your ownership of God that's something that slaves to sin cannot have because Jesus was lifted up from the earth and then he rose from the dead in a moment those in here who are free free indeed are going to reflect on the amazing moment of our independence we're gonna by Jesus invitation partake of his body and ingest his blood symbolically in these elements and we're gonna remember the hope of our independence but there are still slaves to sin in this room people who've not trusted because Jesus died was buried and arose And only those who join him are in him. Those who confess their sins and were immersed in the waters of baptism and rise to walk a new life, forever free, free indeed, you'll gather around the table. For those who are slaves to sin, there's no such hope. But this morning, there's another chance another chance to make this your independence day. Independence, spiritual freedom, freedom from the penalty and the power of sin. Why in the world would you pass it up? Make July 4th double meaning for you. Right now, as we stand and as we sing.